Черное море, черное море. Edmonton from their CD Budmohe and Chorinamora Black Sea. Dobri vecher i vitaju vas vsih dorehi radio suhachi na radio programu Nash Holos Radio Krinskoho Korinja, katera podeci vam na bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB u misti Vancouveri. Pri mikrofoni Pavlina Makwari, djakuju štori šole perebute zimnoju na stupnu hodenu. Hello there and welcome to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host, Paula Demchik Macquarie, Bukadinska Pavlina. Thank you so much for joining me. On today's show, we've got from the Nasholos Audio Archives an interview from the spring of 2020 that aired on our long-running series, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage. It's an interview with Paulina Zalitsky about her two-volume biography, The Sea is Only Knee Deep. Paulina famously defected to Canada from Cuba in 1971, running across the tarmac in Gander, Newfoundland with two toddlers in tow and knowing not a word in English. Her biography tells that story and more. Since Cuba is in the news right now, and that's where Paulina defected from, I thought this interview would be apropos as a reminder of history and how it has a way of catching up with the present on a continual basis. 
As well, we'll have our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a brand new tune, at least brand new to me. It's a YouTube find and brought to my attention by a Twitter follower, Mikhailo, in um, Ontario. And thank you so much for that, Mikhailo. And this is a Ukrainian singer by the name of... Helena Andrusova, and here she is with a maritime song, a sea shanty, translated into Ukrainian. The English title is Wellerman Sea Shanty and Pimoha in Ukrainian. Пішов корабель у море один, бляшанка з чаєм так звався він. Равливі трихилився, ніс, гей, хлопці, прорвемось. Скоро підмо прийде, чай цукориром нам привезе. В той день з китом буде все, додому попливемо. Двох тижнів час іще не сплив, як справжній кит. До них підплив, всім грізно капітан звелів, китами візьмемо. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. В той день, як схитом буде все, додому попливемо. Спустили човен враз на воду, як вдарив кит хвостом по ньому. Гарпунили його невтомно, а кит пірнув на дно. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. В той день з китом буде все, додому попливемо. Не ріжуть лин, бо кит не йде, не в грошах справа, просто честь. Для капітана понад все, тож далі їх тягло. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. В той день з китом буде все, додому попливемо. Човнів четвірка лиш зосталась, не слабша вкит на зло. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. В той день з китом буде все, додому попливемо. Говорять, битва йде давно, живий кит і линву не ріже ніхто. Підмога підвозить їжі питво, щоб чим збадьоритися всім було. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. APL. We help you reach your goals. Up next, last year's interview with Paulina Zalitsky, who now lives in southern Ontario, where she's happily retired. Paulina was born in Odessa, Ukraine, on the Black Sea, into a Jewish family, and grew up in the brutally oppressive Soviet Communist society of the mid-20th century. In the mid-1960s, she married her Cuban college sweetheart and moved with him to Cuba, where she worked at a naval base as an engineer. What began as a romantic adventure ended in a nightmare of political intrigue and personal danger, and her daring defection to Canada in 1971 at Gander, Newfoundland. 
This interview aired in March 2020. A couple of weeks ago on Ukrainian Jewish Heritage, we aired a book review of the memoirs of a Jewish woman from Odessa, an engineer who worked on a nuclear submarine station in Cuba during the height of the Cold War, shortly before a daring defection from the Soviet Union to Canada. Her name is Paulina Zalitsky, and her two-volume memoir reads like a John Kerry spy thriller, only it's a true story. When I reached out to her this week to get a photo for the blog post with the transcript on the Nationalist website, Paulina dropped a bombshell, almost but not quite, literally speaking, about an alarming development today that makes her story less a memoir than perhaps a prophecy. Paulina Zaletsky defected in 1971 with her two young sons and later brought her family members. To say that she has been a contributing member of Canadian society since day one is an understatement of vast proportions, but that's a story for another time. Today we'll talk about her book and her life in Cuba, the former Soviet Union, and her harrowing defection to Canada. Paulina Zalitsky joins me now by phone from her home in southern Ontario. Paulina, welcome, Vitayu. Thank you so much for coming on our show. I am so pleased to speak to you, Paulette. Thank you. Now, you you said that we've got sort of the same name. Now, you're really Paulina. <laughs> That's your yes, real name. Yes. You, see, you see, my grandmother, she was Paulette because she was born in France. What? That is crazy. Yes, that my is... grandmother. Pel- Pel- <laughs> and my she was killed in pogrom in Odessa. Yes, yes, that's in your book. That's Pe- right. And her son, my father, in her name, named me after her. Okay. But because he couldn't give French name in Soviet Union, because then I would be grown up as an enemy of people. Right. Everything that was foreign was an enemy. He ratified it to Paulina. That's crazy because my real name is Paulette and Mm -hmm. um, it's Paulina on the radio because uh, when I started this radio program back in 1990, I had, you know, two co-hosts where you have Han and Bogdan and then there's Paulette. Well, what kind of a Ukrainian program person, you know, is this? I wanted a Ukrainian name too. And my baba called me Paulina. So I thought, okay, I'll be Paulina on the radio. So, um, you know, I'll fit in with the other two guys that had Ukrainian names. That wasn't anywhere near as, as dangerous and dire a situation as yours, but that's just crazy. And here we are, Paulina and Paulina, having a radio conversation. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, indeed. And um, it's almost like in Canada, we're all sisters. Yeah, and it's. I have to uh, tell you that after reading your book, I feel like I know you. Your writing style is incredible. It's very personal. You weave in the technical details so well. There's background information. It is a bit long in two volumes, but I would say that's not so much a criticism. You need that background context to understand what happened to you. That's a, that's a huge story. And so it also relates to something, which is why we're talking right now, that you told me a couple of days ago what's going on in the world right now in Cuba, literally the third Cuban Missile Crisis. But before we get to that, can you just give our listeners who haven't read the book and maybe don't know much about Cuba or um, you know Soviet his- history from that time at all, give us a, a, kind of an overview of, of what the story is, your story, what happened? Well, Cuba, Castro's Cuba that I described, is from the perspective of young Soviet female engineer working there in late 1960s. At that time, uh, it was only the beginning of Soviet satellite because Cuba became already Soviet satellite in earlier period, in uh, 62. Remember it? Uh, Caribbean crisis yes. in 62. Yeah, there was there was a threat of, of nuclear attack. Yes, it's called Caribbean crisis. Okay. And uh, almost had terrible consequence because probably if the accidents would be realized the way it almost happened, it almost happened that way, we would not exist today to speak. Nor you, not me, not anybody else. Wow. 
you understand that consequence of nuclear war is very different from any previous wars mm-hmm. because it exterminates all life. It's impossible to survive. And so you call it Caribbean crisis, um, I guess, in your part of the world where you were then. We called it the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes. Narrowly averted. But from what I was reading, and I had no idea, Fidel Castro was a lunatic. He's a loose cannon. And it was him. It wasn't maybe necessarily the Russians that, or was it? No, no, no. Russians were negotiating. You see, Khrushchev just wanted to get American missiles out of Turkey. Oh. I describe in my book as yes. one day resting in Crimea, in his dachy in Crimea, he suddenly noticed over the horizon there are American javelin missiles in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And he decided he will get rid of them. That's why he brought nuclear missiles to Cuba. And Kennedy had to remove javelin missiles from Turkey in order to do this deal with Khrushchev. And the deal was that no more Soviet nuclear missiles will be brought to Cuba. Right, that was detente, yeah. That was detente in 62. Mm -hmm. But this detente was broke. When I came to Cuba in 68, I started working with a group of Soviet designers. It was a Navy group to construct facilities for Soviet submarines that would come secretly under the water and uh, have their base in Cienfuegos. Yeah, in southern Cuba. It is southern Cuba, that's right. Right. You know, it's not so obvious because it's the other side of Cuba. It's the only very deep bay in Cuba. There is no other bay as deep as Cienfuegos except the entrance channel. And it's all very hard rock. So to excavate that entrance channel, we spent some time, two years. Yeah, and you were... what? And I was working with that group because I was in Cuba, not because I was sent by Soviet Union to Cuba to work on nuclear base, military nuclear base. Oh, no. I came to Cuba with my Cuban ex-husband. I married Cuban. Yeah, you met in university and uh, got married there and moved to Cuba. Yeah, I met a student in my university whom I married. I truly fall in love with him. It wasn't an arranged marriage, nothing like that. It was a romantic marriage. And uh, after graduation, my husband, I, and our two children went to live and work in Cuba. I started working in Cuba with a group of civil engineers that were building port in Cienfuegos for commercial cargo. The presence of this commercial port would kind of masquerade mm-hmm. the existence of submarine facilities. Right. Every time they would see any movement in a port and people would be removed, they were removed from that area. They were told it's construction of commercial port. So I started working with that civil group in commercial port. But we we were working in the same big hall in the Ministry of Transport. The Navy group was separated from us, and we didn't communicate at all with them. It was forbidden Mm -hmm. to communicate with them. Oh. Yeah. But what happened was that uh, the the Navy group lost their translator. Translator was arrested. Arrested. Yeah. And this translator was my friend. I really had a very, very nice relationship with her. Mm-hmm. She was originally from Odessa herself. Oh. Yeah. She also was a Jewish woman mm-hmm. from Odessa. But her parents escaped during the Second World War and came to Cuba. Mm -hmm. And uh, she became professional translator, which later was brought to Soviet Union and trained, had security clearance, appropriate security clearance 
to work with Navy Group. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, they arrested her. I don't know what happened. I don't know why they arrested her. But Navy Group lost translator, and they needed translator. And because there were about 40,000 troops in Cuba at the time, 40,000. Oh. Wow. They needed many translators. Now, just before you go on with that, that the translator that they arrested, who you replaced mm-hmm. from, from Odessa, gave you something to read. Yes. <laughs> Did that plant the seed of defection in you? In your mind? Yes, indeed, indeed, very much indeed. Because I never read Solzhenitsyn before. It was Solzhenitsyn, a very famous mm-hmm. uh, writer, yeah. that wrote about Gulag. Yes. And of course, it was prohibited in Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. So I never read it before. Right. She gave me to read it in Spanish language. Oh. So I had to use dictionary and word by word translate, you know, for myself. Uh, hiding from my husband, hiding from everybody, because it was forbidden, <laughs> forbidden wow. fruit. Wow. Yeah. And I was scared that she was arrested. Now they will come and arrest me. No kidding. Yeah. So after I was informed that I have to come to embassy, that they request my presence at the embassy officially, I was really scared. Sure. But when I came, they told me, that they need me to help the Navy group. This is how I started working with that Navy group. Wow. I didn't have security clearance, you see. Wow. Being Jewish, right. it's difficult to get security clearance, and I didn't have one. Right. Plus, plus you also avoided getting into the, the politics. You refused to join Komsomol. You day- yes, I refused to join all politics. And exactly. you, you, you daydreamed in, when you were in school. You daydreamed during the indoctrination sessions. <laughs> well, I don't know if, if you remember that story, but when I was six years old, I almost uh, sent my father and myself to Gulag. Yes, yeah. This taught me lesson. Yeah, this is this and spanking too. My father gave me big spanking for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that's why, because from the very early age, I started learning that uh, the wonderful life, uh, our wonderful life in Soviet Union, was um, complete. Uh, it it was lie. Yeah. We were prisoners. Mm. I understood. I understood because I experienced personally that all these uh, meetings, all these political organizations, Pioneer, Komsomol, and Communist Party, they are not only free ticket to a better career, you know, mm-hmm. and progressive lifestyle. No, no. They are also commitment to obey all orders. And never to argue. Yeah. yeah, never to have your own opinion. Uh, you only have to obey. And this what happens today as well. Everywhere in Cuba and North Korea. Mm-hmm. All those countries that profess uh, political uh, dictatorial system. Mm-hmm. So you ended up then translating. You had no security clearance. Yes. But you were privy to this top secret information. Because you were translating. But they had to, because they couldn't find translator who would know terminology. I yeah. knew all the construction, marine terminology. Mm. I was working in it, right? On the civil side, right. but it's still in the same field. Right. So I was the one who knew terminology in both languages. Mm. That's why they used me. And they couldn't find anybody else. So I started working with the Navy group and became privy to kind of work they were doing. I would say that this was not my main drama. My main drama really was a request to denounce, uh, to write reports. Actually, every few weeks I had to submit a formal report about what my colleagues are thinking, doing, and so on. Yikes. My Soviet colleagues, and I couldn't, I couldn't force myself doing that. 
Wow. So you were supposed to buy, snitch and make up things if necessary. Everybody's supposed to do that. Wow. Everyone. Wow. Everyone. We all know that those Soviets that uh, worked abroad, I don't know about today, but in that period, they all had to write. It was obligatory. They had to submit by such date reports about their colleagues. And I couldn't force myself to do that you at were, all. You were chirpy. You said, um, everybody's great. I am thankful to work with such yeah, wonderful people. Yeah, what a wonderful. I was I was writing about their jokes, you know, <laughs> oh. about about their hairstyles, whatever I could imagine to to put on paper. You're a real rebel, and that sure comes out in your book. <laughs> I would think you would act the same way if you would be in my place. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. A lot of people weren't. I mean, you, you're a rarity because, as you say, so many of your colleagues lived in fear and they capitulated. You didn't. Even though, I, it's very true. Even though and you, I paid price for it. <laughs> you, you did. You did. You worked through, but you worked through your fear and you did it. But one thing I should tell you. Yeah. I was not brave. I was scared to death. Oh, well, for sure. Of course. But what is they, they say about courage is that you're afraid, but you you do it anyways. You work through the fear, and you do. You have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to force yourself. Exactly. And so um, you have personal things going on in your life too. Your marriage was starting to get a little rocky. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, um, an old family friend that um, you trusted um, hit on you, and you escaped being raped. And exactly by him. Can yeah, you imagine? Fam- he was yeah. my substitute father. Yeah, your father's friend. Yeah, you know what? And that—that's such a common story for women, and uh, it's happened to me too. I mean, it always takes you by surprise. Like what? Yeah, you know, like you're old enough to be my father, my grandfather, and you want what? Exactly. Uh, Plus, you probably would sympathize with me. I couldn't tell about that to anyone. Oh, no. Well, in in those days, it would endanger your career. Well, actually, yeah, that's true. Uh, What am I saying? Um, I was the same. I kept it to myself. It's not something you talk Mm -hmm. about because then then you're the one that suffers. Exactly, exactly. Plus, when I I, uh, spoke to my father about it, I was endangering his health. Yes. Because he almost had a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. And I was afraid to tell to my husband because my husband could react violently. Yeah. I wouldn't want him to do that. Yeah. But what happened is because my supervisor who almost raped me, I didn't let him to. I fought. Thanks to your dad, he taught you the kick. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This was very handy kick. Um, But I I was afraid I killed him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so when it happened, he was scared that I will denounce him. So he went to embassy before me and denounced me. Yeah, preemptive strike. Yeah, preemptive strike. Yes. So I was in a big trouble. Yeah. Plus, uh, my notes. I never wrote those reports. Yes. I I decided. Or I get out in time, or I will end up in prison, so I better go. So then you started to seriously look at defection. You chose Canada. You knew nothing about it, not a word of English, never heard a word of English. But you decided Canada and a fueling stop in Gander. Mm -hmm. And you, the first time was unsuccessful. You did it twice. You tried twice. Twice. <laughs> yes, first time they cut me. I'm speaking with Paulina Zalitsky, author of the book, The Sea is Only Knee Deep, her personal story of growing up Jewish in the Soviet Ukraine, working in Cuba at a naval base during the second Cuban Missile Crisis, and her famous defection to Canada in 1971. In part two, Paulina will tell us about her harrowing escape from the Soviet Union to Canada and will also explain why she believes, based on her experience during the second Cuban Missile Crisis, that a third Cuban Missile Crisis has begun. Join us next week for part two of this interview with Paulina Zalitsky, author of The Sea is Only Knee Deep. This is CHMB AM 1320, Vancouver.
In part one, Paulina described the dangers she faced and the indignities she endured as a Jewish girl growing up in the Soviet Union, and later as a Jewish woman working on a Soviet naval base in Cuba and accidentally becoming privy to the political intrigues of the little-known Second Cuban Missile Crisis. In part two of this two-part interview, Paulina will tell us about her harrowing defection and the circumstances that convinced her that defection was the lesser danger. As well, she'll explain why recent alarming developments in Cuba today, which are being ignored by Western media, lead her to believe that we are now facing a third and much more dangerous Cuban Missile Crisis and its potentially disastrous ramifications in Ukraine and Eastern Europe. And so um, you had personal things going on in your life, too. Your marriage was starting to get a little rocky. Mm -hmm. Um, um, An old family friend that um, you trusted um, hit on you, and you escaped being raped. Exactly, by him. Can you imagine? He was my substitute father. Plus, you probably would sympathize with me, I couldn't tell about that to anyone. It's not something you talk mm-hmm. about because then then you're the one that suffers. Exactly. Plus, when I, when I uh, spoke to my father about it, I was endangering his health because he almost had heart attack. And I was afraid to tell to my husband because my husband could react violently. Yeah. I wouldn't want him to do that. Yeah. What happened is, because my supervisor, who almost raped me, I didn't let him to. I yeah, fought. Thanks to your dad, he taught you the kick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this was very handy kick. <laughs> so when it happened, he was scared that I will denounce him. So he went to embassy before me and denounced me. Yeah, preemptive strike. Yeah. Preemptive strike, yes. So I was in a big trouble. Yeah. I decided or I get out in time or I will end up in prison. So I better go. So then you started to seriously look at defection. You chose Canada. You knew nothing about it, not a word of English, never heard a word of English. But you decided Canada and a fueling stop in Gander. Mm -hmm. And you, the first time was unsuccessful. You did it twice. You tried twice. Twice, <laughs> yes. First time they cut me. Yeah. I was really lucky that, you know, I was young because when young women pretend something, it's easier. Oh, yeah. Than, <laughs> than <laughs> yeah. everybody else. <laughs> Plus, I had two small children. Yeah. So I pretended that my children were very sick. Yeah. And airline was scared that I will complain, you know, about food. That poisoned my children. Right, right. So somehow, somehow I managed to survive that one. But the second one, I wouldn't have second chance. That's it. So, you know, once they caught me, it was already recorded somewhere for sure. Oh, yeah. And the second time, I would be put in prison. That's for certain. Yeah. And punishment for defection is severe. It's 15 years in Gulag. Hmm? Of the worst kind. Yeah. So I was scared, but I didn't have choice. I had to act. And uh, that's what happened. You did crazy things. I mean... I I had to. The stories that that you came up with the second time, you ended up on the wrong plane, ended up in Prague, stayed there for two days... How, with no money, with no food, with nothing, an accident with one of your little boys. You know, you made it on the plane, and you were so smart. You had, And I'm not, because I don't want to give this away. I want people to read this book, because it is an amazing story. But you taught your little boy. He was the yeah. one. If it wasn't for your little boy, who runs really, really fast, yeah. um, he was the one that broke you free. And you ended up in Canada... Mm-hmm. With the communists banging on the door, the people from the the airline that was Czechoslovakian air, airlines that you managed to get on from yes. from Prague, and they yeah, and they were were there for hours, and then you know your story of what happened to you when you defected, and 
that was harrowing to what happened here in Canada. I, I was disappointed in my government and how you were treated. I was disappointed in 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 those people in whose care you were. They were a whole lot better than the ones that you left behind. You know, it was very shocking to me. It was an eye-opener. And I think it's an eye, it would be an eye-opener to anyone. That book should be in schools. That should be taught in schools, your story. People have no idea, absolute no idea. And I'm just so glad that you wrote that book. It would put John Curry to shame. <laughs> Seriously, what a story. Thank you. It should actually be a series on TV. Um, but back to your story and how we connected. I just wanted a picture. I wanted to post the um, you know the book review on the website. Just routine, boring stuff, workaday stuff that I do all the time. And uh, and then you sent me this information about something that just happened in Cuba, and it's something that's called what is it? The third. Cold War or something, or the third mm-hmm, mis- the mm-hmm. third missile crisis. Yes, um, because it's the third missile crisis. You see, the first one was in '62. Mm-hmm. The second one was really '69, '70. Because Kissinger wrote about it. U.S. of course had uh, intelligence information about Soviet submarines being in Cuba, the submarine base. Right. Right. And he wrote an article, despite the fact that Nixon forbid him to do it. Okay, so this is the secret submarine base that you were working on. Um, yes. Your work was actually was on the construction site. The, the, yes, the, mine the, was on construction the, the, site. The, the, right. the facade for mm-hmm. it. And, yeah, and so that... And translation for, for Navy. Yes, yes, yeah. I was translating for Navy too. That's right. So that was the second Cuban Missile Crisis. That was second, and now we're coming into third. Yeah, and this this interesting. The second one, not very many people talked about it. As you said, Nixon, who was the U.S. president at the time, forbade Kissinger from writing about it. Yes, yes. So that's it was, so it was supposed to be kept hush hush. Yes, that's right. Why? And it looks like it's going to be kept as well now. The reason why, yeah. I told you why I think is the reason. They don't know what to do about it. United States has not anti-missile, cruise missile defense at all. So they don't know what to do about it. And when they're bullied, they just uh, freeze. They do nothing. So going back again to 1969 and the second uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, were they prepared then or were they also not prepared? And they just wanted to go... No, they were not prepared. They were not prepared. I was interviewed and I, I, uh, of course, I I described my work. That was in 71 Uh when I described my work. To who, who? To whom? And nobody heard about that, right? Who, so who did you... You didn't. No, no. Who did you describe? Who did you tell your story to? Who did, who interviewed you? The government. Government, of course. You want to know exactly names? No, government. No, no, no. I don't want to know names, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you understand. I do. No, yeah. I... But of course, I am now so free to talk about it because it's really happened and it's recorded. Yeah. Are you worried at all for your safety? No, Good. I am in Canada. Okay, so you don't you don't think that there's any danger here? No, I don't think there is any danger in Canada. That's right. Okay, well, you live, you've lived through danger, so you would recognize it if it was there. So when we were first speaking a few days ago, you brought to my attention something that mm-hmm. was going on in Cuba uh, right about the time I was airing your book review. Um, mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, there were uh, Russian high-level officials had been in Cuba Absolutely. The head of all Russian Navy, Admiral Nikolai Yevmenov. And he was there on the request of Raul Castro and the president of Cuba. Yes, that's right. And they were there. Who visited Moscow a couple of weeks before. Oh. Before that. And mm-hmm. then, oh, I see. So the Russian officials were in Cuba for six days. And yes. all the, the so the announcement was made all over Russian media that they were going to beef up the the submarine base that you were working on in in sixty nine. Yeah, so yeah. They were going to expand it. Yeah, that's right. That they're going to rebuild that base, and um, 
they are going actually to upgrade these uh, harbor facilities again. And also that the new spy center, this um, GLONASS and the satellite spy center is functioning. In, this is a Russian center. It's functioning. Now it's back into operations so, in Cuba. The spy center and the Navy base, oh. both. They were both closed. They were closed in Cuba in 92. Okay. And now they announced that they're reopening it, and the spy center already is reestablished, rebuilt, and operating. Wow. Right. And two days ago, a Russian spy ship, the main, the biggest spy ship, Viktor Leonov, came to Havana, and it's right now in Havana Harbor, from March 3rd, I don't know how long they're going to to stay there. But from that ship, not only they listen everything and everyone in the United States and Canada, but also they work in, of course, uh, in a coordinating work of their new spy center. Good grief. Are you worried that they'll be hearing our conversation? No, why? Why should I worry? I'm in Canada. Okay. I would be worried if I would be in Havana or if I would be in Moscow. So we shouldn't be worried? We shouldn't be worried, no. Okay. They are not interested in you and me, of course. They are interested in uh, military establishment. Oh. In what our governments do. They're not interested in what you and I do. So they're not worried that people are talking? They don't care? No, they care about important people. Ah, <laughs> they are not important enough. That's Thanks good. That, that's right. So, yeah, my father always told me that. If you want to survive, don't become important. <laughs> <laughs> so you had sent me some English language media, and you you'd sent at the, at the time that... Nothing. There's not much, is there? Not only not much, there is nothing. Well, there was something. It was something about uh, Canadian um, military... Yes, no, right. No, yeah, NORAD. Yeah, yeah they announced that Russia is the main danger. Right. And that's all. They didn't say from the south. Like, yes, uh, Russia is danger everywhere, obviously. And when they're spying from the south, they're danger uh, from <laughs> in any direction. But we have that danger 90 miles from U.S. coast, right? Yeah. 90 miles, they don't have to use strategic weapons. They can use short or middle range cruise missiles. Right. Cruise missiles, short or middle range, if they have nuclear tip, they're as dangerous as nuclear bombs. You understand? The The cruise missiles, they uh, right now, today, nobody can stop. There is no defense against them. Oh, no. United States is only developing defense. Developing. But it's going to be developed, they promise, for 2024. Oh. 2024, that's a couple of years away from now. Uh, You think the Russians will wait until they're ready? Yeah. (laughs) So you don't think that the United States is is aware of this? I think they are aware of everything, but they don't want to confront anyone because they don't know how to. You see, they're bullied. And where they're bullied, they don't know what to do. A bully, did you say? Yeah, bully. Because Soviet Union and Russia are acting as a bully. Yes. They're intimidating in order for what? In order to negotiate. They don't want just war for the sake of war. They don't need to end life on this planet just for the sake of it, right? What do they want? They want to negotiate. For example, right now in Ukraine, there are some differences because the new president of Ukraine wants to review Minsk agreement. Uh, You see, Poroshenko signed deal in Minsk that border becomes Ukrainian only after election. That means that they will elect Russian KGB in government. That would become Ukrainian government. Wonderful. Yeah, that's what Minsk agreement made. I didn't realize that. That's the deal. Oh, wonderful. Yes, because Russia is controlling borders, right? 
So while Russia is controlling borders, who is running for elections in those regions? Well, yeah. Correct. And if these people are elected into Ukrainian government, whom they were going to represent? So Zelensky wants to change it. He wants deal to be changed that first the border becomes Ukrainian and after that they will hold elections. That's reasonable. So which border? The border that Russia breached? The border that Russia breached already. So so basically push Russia back to the original sovereign borders from, yes. from 2013. Yes, that's right. That's okay. right. That's the Minsk deal. That's the conditions of Minsk deal. To push back all the borders to where they were in 2013. Yes, and to hold elections. But what is first? First the borders or first elections? Mm-hmm. If the borders are under control of Russians, that means elections are not going to result in Ukrainian interest. Right. You understand? Mm-hmm. So he wants to review it. And Putin doesn't want him to. And if uh, United States and uh, Europe supports Ukraine, Putin might have to retire before this Minsk deal is finalized. Why? And he doesn't want that. He wants to retire. He wants to retire in more secure position. He's retiring at oh. the end of this year. Oh. He's supposed to retire. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> of course, it's not completely retirement because uh, he he still will be controlling everything and managing everything, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. from behind, not oh, yes, yeah, not in the front line any longer. Okay, so so then let me get this straight. He is in Cuba because of Ukraine. Well, yes, yes, yeah. They are telling to United States and the Western countries to stop helping Ukraine. Wow. Don't interfere anymore, not just Ukraine, but also other regions, like Litva, Latvia, Estonia, Georgia, all those other regions as well. So he wants, he does want to recreate the Russian Empire. Exactly. That's what I was telling in my message to you. Mm -hmm. It's just continuation of Russian traditional politics. It's uh, empirical ambition. They can't stop it. It's always been. Yeah. You probably know that originally uh, Russia itself, Moscow, was a very small region. Oh, yeah. And it grew because they were conquering territories around them, right? Yeah. And it never changed. They always do. They always conquer. Yeah. So what they don't want and what Khrushchev was doing and what Brezhnev was doing and what now Putin is doing, they are warning the West not to interfere in their conquest. So while the United States is preoccupied with coronavirus scares, with mm-hmm. with um, with unseating um, an elected president, like him or not, um, he was elected, and so that whole circus that's been going on. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, Russia very quietly is... Back to its old tricks. Yes, Russia very quietly just taking what they want. And the rest of the world is yeah, asleep. Yeah, I was always impressed. You probably heard interviews of uh, granddaughter of Khrushchev. She lives in the United States and she spoke many times on interviews. Right. And when they were asking her why Russia is doing that, she always said because they can. Hmm. She always answered that way. Just because they can. You see, they're bullying. Yeah. And the West doesn't know how to confront that. What What do you think about the Ukrainian pushback? Do you think there's any hope there? To be very honest, I don't think really anybody cares about Ukraine, yeah. but Ukrainians. Yeah. Do they have a hope in hell? Ukrainians do. Oh. But nobody else is willing to help, you know. Yeah. I feel desperate. Yeah. You don't, you, do, you don't have any family left there now? Yes, of course. I still have family in Odessa. Oh. Yeah. They don't want to go. They could go to Israel. They could go anywhere else. Yeah. 
but they prefer to stay in Odessa. They love Odessa. They they want to live there. It's home. Mm-hmm. But your new home is here in Canada, and thank you so much for sharing your story and for giving us this heads up on what's happening in the world today. Thank you, Follette. You're so kind and so observant. I really appreciate how you treated the subject. Oh, well, thank you. It's fascinating to me, and uh, certainly you made it easy with your incredible storytelling skills. So, um, again, I can't emphasize enough for listeners to read Paulina's memoir, The Sea is Only Knee Deep. You can get it on Amazon. It is an incredible story. Thank you for sharing it, and hope to have you on the show again soon. Thank you. And thank you. Paulina Zalitsky is the author of The Sea is Only Knee Deep, a two-volume memoir about her life growing up in the Soviet Union, working as an engineer on a Soviet naval base in Cuba during the second Cuban Missile Crisis, and her daring defection to Canada in 1971. I hope you enjoyed this interview with the author of this fascinating book. tune by a Canadian group from right here in BC called Heavy Shtetl, and that was Odessa Bulgarish. So trying to keep the music a little bit on topic here, we have, we've had Black Sea, a sea shanty from Eastern, from the Maritimes, Eastern Canada. Um, We've had uh, another Odessa Bulgarish. I have tried to find something Cuban. There's not much musically uh, that connects Ukraine and Cuba, but I did find Arturo Sandoval, who is uh, was a Cuban American uh, jazz artist, very famous trumpeter. He himself uh, defected from Cuba and went on to live the American dream. He studied under Dizzy Gillespie and has played with uh, Charlie Parker and many other jazz giants over the years. And he did go to Ukraine in 2016 and uh, did a concert in Lviv. And so here is just a little tribute of Arturo Sandoval singing to Ukraine. Here we are in Ukraine. What a wonderful town and alpha fest. Whoa! Here we are having fun. And everybody is so nice in Ukraine. It's 
so good to be out here Where the people are so nice And you look into the stage That those things happen every night Sometimes the people not even look And believe me, that sucks Whoa! Here we are in Ukraine What a wonderful town Oh, what a fest snippet for you there of Arturo Sandoval on his famous trumpet and playing Seven Steps to Heaven by Miles Davis. Not quite the uh, usual seven steps that you hear on Nash Holis, uh, but we will be wrapping up the show with that one just to remind you. Um, that was uh, just about a minute and a half of a six minute, uh, slightly over six minute performance in Lviv in 2016 at the Alpha Jazz Festival. If you want to listen to and watch the entire uh, video, I'll post a link to it in the podcast show notes. Na žal, my vše skinčili našu prohramu, vše často doma vyskazáte do pobáčenia. Ale před tím, jak hoču zaležit vás těmi slovami mudrosti. Nemýšaj pravdes nepravduju i olevez vodoju. And our proverb of the week translates as Do not mix truth with falsehood and oil with water. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. You can find our podcast at our website www.nashholos.com. While our time is up, so to wrap it up, we will have the seven steps by the Canadian Rhythm Masters from Winnipeg. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM 1320. Thanks for listening and Dobranich!
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.